Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Okay, so um, this is probably one of the weirdest illustrations I could ever possibly give you. Uh, I'm not a comic book person, but I wanted to get a copy of this. This is a a collection of four comics uh, called Squadron Supreme, and the principal writer was uh, Mark Grunewald. Now, when this came out, when the original comic books came out in the late, excuse me, the early 90s, Mark Grunewald had just finished working on this when he died suddenly of a heart attack. And so it's his wife that writes the foreword to the collection of these seven comic books that have been bound in this one volume. And she writes this forward saying, for, for Mark, comics were not just entertainment. It was not just something fun to do. Comics were his life. And then she goes on the introduction to say this. After he died, I'm the executor of his will, says his wife. And his final request is that he be cremated and his ashes be mixed in with printer's ink and actually used to print the final series of comic books that he created. Is that not a lot creepy? So now this is a reprint. This does not have authentic Mark Grunewald ashes in it. This is a reprint. But literally, he threw himself into his work, didn't he? It, it wasn't just something he, he did in a spare time. This is, he was passionate. He was all in, we would say. So we're starting this year, between now and Easter, we're walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount walking through his message on the mountain. I'm inviting you, and I'm going to hit this several times today. I'm inviting you every month in January to read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. If you think you don't have time, just take 15 minutes that you would spend on social media and do this instead. We've got time to do this. It's just choosing to do it. And begin to read Jesus' words. Here's the deal. Jesus put himself into these words. These aren't just words on a page. This contains not his ashes, but his blood, sweat, and tears. When he says to pray, remember in the garden, he sweat tears of blood. He prayed even when he felt like God wasn't listening and even when God didn't answer him the way he wanted to, but he prayed anyway. Jesus put his sweat into this. As he's hanging from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He lived out what he taught here of love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, he understood his singular mission in the world, and that is to be the light of the world. And now he says to us, you are a light in the world as well. So what we have here are more just than words on a page. Jesus literally through himself into these words. And as we encounter these words, we encounter the living Christ who we call our Lord. So here's what I want to do today. Last week, we, we read the Sermon on the Mount together. This week, before we get into the heart of it next week, I would like to cover the intro and the outro. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, at the beginning of chapter 5, there's some, some words in black And then at the end of chapter 7, there's some words in black. And and basically, these bookends to the message on the mount handles what Jesus did and why and 
what people's response and reaction was to his teaching. So if you have your Bibles and you want to, turn with me to to Matthew chapter 5. And what I want to do is handle just five words this morning. And as we read the intro and the outro, I want to pause on some words that really give us some insight as we go into studying and reading the message on the mount. By the way, I'm going to give you a couple of ideas this morning, but if you you decide to read the message on the mount uh, every day this month, uh, change it up. Nothing says that you have to read it all at once. Maybe you get up and read Matthew chapter 5. During your lunch break, you read Matthew chapter 6, and in the evening you read Matthew chapter 7. There's all kinds of different creative ways to handle this, okay? So here's the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, I want to pause right there and focus on the word crowds. Don't pass by that word because this word tells us something about Jesus' popularity. Jesus was growing in popularity. People had seen him heal. They had heard sound bites from Jesus, and now people were turning out, and they were leaning in to listen. Can I encourage you this month? Just listen. Really listen to the teachings of Jesus. But not only does this say something about the numbers of people, but it says that Jesus saw the crowds. Listen, Jesus sees us not in groups, but he sees us as individuals. And maybe the only reason you're here this morning is to hear this. You are not alone. If you don't feel like anybody understands you, anybody sees you, there's something in us that we we desire to be known and cared for. That's a God-given gift, and the answer to that is Jesus. He knows exactly who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what's next, and he knows that your life operates best when he is involved, okay? Jesus sees you. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside. I'm going to wait and handle that word mountainside on Wednesday night. Wednesdays, 6 o'clock, all the adults who want to are going to meet together, and we're going to walk through the Beatitudes. Actually, that's a very important word in the Gospel of Matthew, but I'll save it for, for Wednesday. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say this about crowds. As Jesus knows who you are, and He knows where you are, and He knows what's going on, I think the ministry of a church should reflect that. And so if you're a member of this church, I want you to know a couple of things. Um, my job really is pretty simple. My job is to pray for you. If you're a member of this church, you are prayed for. If you're not a member of this church, you're out of luck. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're not prayed for because I don't know who you are. So if there is a special prayer request, please, please send that. But part of my agreement with this church is you will be prayed for by name. And I spend time every morning in my office, my first appointments with the Lord, not trying to sound spiritual, but it's, it's my job to, to pray. It's also my job to, to shepherd. That means when you meet some critical events in life, and maybe it's something big or maybe it's something catastrophic or maybe it's something good or, or maybe it's something small that you just sense something is going on, it's my opportunity and my obligation to shepherd you through that. Please don't feel like you have to go, go it alone. And sometimes people contact me just to listen. I think I'm a pretty good listener or just to receive some counsel. Know that that's available. To pray, to shepherd, 
to teach. Part of our doing the message on the mount at the beginning of this year is to say, as your pastor, the best thing I can do is let's go back to the words of Jesus and see what he taught. And then, here's a radical idea, let's do it. Let's try to live it out. So um, I had somebody send me an email this week and say, uh, okay, I'm going to read through the message on the mount every day this month. I've read it before, and I get to some parts that I've heard a, a lot of times before, and I think, I've got that part down. Let me skip over to the part that I really need. Is that the okay to do that? And that's a really good question. That's a valid question because if you've read the Bible enough, you, you've read some of these parts before. Should, so should we skip over those parts that we already know? Here's my thought. Just about the time you get sick of reading it, you're hearing it for the first time. And that's one of the, the ideas of communication, of, of making announcements and awareness. People have to hear it multiple times before they actually hear it. About the time you get sick of it, it's going to start sticking, okay? Read it anyway. Jesus is teaching us. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw people. He went up onto a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So Jesus, when he gives the message on the mount, he's not talking to the crowds. He's talking to people who have professed, who have decided to be his followers. He is giving instruction to his disciples. But I think the word crowds and disciples are connected because as a part of his communication, Jesus is inviting the crowds to also become his disciples. And here's the best question I think I can ask you in light of that. Which group are you really a part of? Don't, don't fake it. Don't give the churchy answer. You're kind of a part of the crowd. I call myself a Christian, but I kind of, kind of do my own thing, really. Or would you say, I'm serious about this. I really am serious. I want to figure out what Jesus wants, and then I'm going to do that. That's called being a disciple. Charlie Smith is a name that you don't know, but Charlie Smith, at the time he died in 1973, he was the longest living American. Now, get this. This is, this is almost impossible to believe, and if I had not substantiated this, I don't know that I would believe it on first blush. Charlie Smith was brought as a slave to the United States from Liberia when he was 12 years old. Soon after arriving, civil war is concluded, slaves are freed, he grew up in Galveston, and in Charlie Smith's life, he heard legends about Billy the Kid. He saw the invention of the light bulb, the telephone. He saw the invention of the automobile. He saw the invention of the atomic bomb. He saw the space race begin. And, and by the way, toward the end of his life, December 1972, he was invited to the Kennedy Space Center to watch the launch of Apollo 17. Get this, here's a man who saw a slave ship and a spaceship. Isn't that amazing? To have that kind of experience in life. But listen, Jesus invites you to come out of slavery. You don't have to be a slave to sin and self anymore. Sometimes that disguises itself as freedom. I can do whatever I want to. Yeah, it's not really freedom. We're a slave to sin and self, and he invites us to move from slavery to seeing some amazing things happen in our world and in our life and as a part of his kingdom. 
Jesus invites us to be his disciples. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, that word teach in the Greek carries with it the idea of continual action. Basically, if I were to translate it, it would say something like this. And here's how Jesus always used to do it. Here's what he always used to say. And and partly this answers the question, how could Matthew as a gospel writer sit 20 and 30 years on and remember what Jesus said? Well, here's the deal. The message on the mount's not a one-off. Jesus said it over and over and over again until it was drilled into his disciples' mind. And part of January would be experiencing that again for you to read it over and over and over. I received an email between services. Um, a person in this church, uh, remain anonymous, just said, I, I, I made it a point when we went to the Holy Land a few years ago to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And now that you're teaching through it, as I hear these verses, it's like being reacquainted with some old friends. To be that familiar with the teachings of Jesus and to carry it not only here, but to carry it here. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And what follows in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 111 verses, about 2,250 words. By the way, the longest presidential inauguration speech was given by um, Harrison, Um, I forgot his first name. It's not important. President Harrison back in 1841. William Henry Harrison, that's it. 1841, his speech was 8,000 words. His inaugural speech on a cold January day was one hour and 15 minutes. He promptly contracted pneumonia and died. Serves him right, is what I think. (laughs) But then President Lincoln his second inaugural address in which he sums up the lessons of the Civil War, 700 words. You don't have to say a lot for what you say to mean something big. And it's my contention that Matthew includes these words of Jesus because he pretty much covers every conceivable thing you're going to meet in a day, okay? Read it. Absorb it. Okay, so now let's go to the outro. Uh, Let's go to, this is what Jesus did and why he did it. Um, Let's go to the end. This is Matthew chapter 7. I want to pick up on two words here. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Now, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to play with fire as I do this. If you weren't here last week, I got to a, a point in the message where I was talking about the Oxford English Dictionary and The Oxford English Dictionary, if you were to take all the words, it's about 178 miles of type, and there's a young man stationed in the balcony, and he said, what? (laughs) It was a great human moment, and I told them never to do that again. (laughs) I don't don't care. You know what? If if this is not the kind of church where kids are welcome, it's not the kind of church I want to be a part of, right? So when it says, when the crowds heard Jesus, they were amazed... They walk away going, what? What did he say? And just stop for a minute and get past the words 
and look at how we are actually taught to live and then compare that to Jesus, and it will probably amaze us, okay? First of all, with prayer, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Every verb there gets more intense. The time you think that God's not listening, the times you think about giving up, don't give up, double down. What? And then Jesus said this, try this on for size. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh my gosh. If we were to actually live that out, imagine how radical that is in your workplace and in your home that we don't treat others based on what we think they deserve. We treat others as we have been commanded by God. And then there's this radical thought, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We'll get there in a couple of weeks and we'll explain what that means. It doesn't mean you are to be a doormat, but you are to live in such a way that if others decide to be cruel, you don't retaliate, you take it in order to expose their cruelty to the world and maybe even expose their cruelty to themselves. Because it's not about you getting what you want, it's about others getting what they need. This is some radical stuff here. And if it ever ceases to be amazing, we've not really listened to this. And so now here's the final word. They were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Authority. Uh, Neil Postman, several years ago, wrote a book, and uh, he talks about people being illiterate. You know what that is. People can't read. And people being literate, they can read. But there's kind of a, a way station between those two extremes, between being illiterate and literate. The middle part is being illiterate. It means you can read, you just choose not to. I wonder in our church... How many of us are really illiterate when it comes to the teachings of Jesus? A friend of mine caught me before the first service, and they met as some community group leaders, and they kind of just had this honest conversation. How many of you read your Bible every day? And my friend was the only one in that group that did, and these are community group leaders. I don't say that to bring about guilt. Well, maybe a little bit. (laughs) I say that as a wake-up call that by not reading our Bible… And it's not a legalistic thing that we're in for. But by leaving this closed, I'm saying, I can figure out life on my own. But every time you just open this up, it's a confession that I need God. I need God. And I need to listen to what's happening here. And if I just want to go by my own instincts, I'm a part of the crowd. But if I decide to go by his instructions, then I am a disciple. That's what I'm inviting us to. Let me encourage you not to do this alone. Uh, Maybe one of the ways you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is by doing it as a family. Um, Maybe read it to one another. Take turns. Read this together. Absorb it together. Say, what stands out to you? What, What are some problem points here? For those of you who picked up on a statement I made a few minutes ago, you might not buy it, that Jesus covers every conceivable topic that we will experience in a day. I think that's right, and I'm grateful for John Stott, one of my favorite 
biblical theologians for pointing this out. He said, basically, you can take the message on the mount and Jesus hits seven major themes and try to think of anything you experience in life that doesn't answer to one of these themes, okay? Jesus starts by talking about a Christian's character, the Beatitudes. We'll get into those next week. This is the kind of life that bears the approval of God. If we're going to make it every day, we need to understand what our character should look like. That a Christian's influence, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. If we know that we are to be an influence on others and we refuse to do so, we are not fulfilling the purpose for which God created us. And all of us have a circle of influence. A Christian's righteousness. Jesus said, you've heard it was said this, but I tell you. In other words, it's not just about not murdering somebody. It's not hating other people. It's taking righteousness from just the exterior facade to make it a fact in our character. And then there's a Christian's devotional life, not praying and not giving and not fasting for others to see. That's not what it's about. Who we are is who we are when no one is looking, but also who we really are is those parts of ourselves that no one can see. And are you really deep down a disciple of Jesus? There's some things that only God will see. Then a Christian's ambition. Don't store up for yourselves treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Here's as plainly as I can put it. If you're passionate about anything more than Jesus Christ, if anything takes the lead over Christ, the biblical word for that is idolatry. And it can even be a good thing. Say, my family comes first. That's not biblical. <laughs> Your family should be very important, but Christ should come first. Anything that competes for that first place is idolatry. Then a Christian's relationships, and where Jesus ends is a Christian's commitment. And here's, here's where he lands. Anyone who hears these words of mine, okay, so I hope this January that you'll read the, the message on the mount. Anyone who hears these words of mine, not just hears them, puts them into practice is like a person who builds their house on a rock. Here comes the rain, streams rise, the wind will blow and beat against the house. Storms are coming. But anyone who reads this message on the mount every day for the month of January and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who builds their house in the sand. The storm's going to come. The rains, the streams, the wind, and that house will fall. In the rural Ozarks, some of the mountain people practice a, a, something called the enthroning of their Bible. So when they wake up in the morning, they'll take their Bible and they'll put it on their pillow after they've read it. And it's, it's there waiting for them. So when they go lay down at night, the, the Bible is waiting there for them. And I like that image of the truth of Scripture should bring us rest as we trust in God. But then at night, after they've read their Bible, they've taken it off their pillow, they've read it, they will then enthrone their Bible on their shoes for the next morning. So that when they get up out of bed, before they even put up on their, their shoes, they go, here is how I am going to walk. Here is how I'm going to live today. And I love that idea of the Scripture not only bringing us rest, but also this is how to live. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. The rains come down, the streams rise, the winds blow and beat against the house, but it will not fall because its foundation is on the rock of Christ. Let's stand together and let's pray with one another. So God, we have this challenge in front of us um, as we begin this new year. And 2024, just from the very fact it's an election year, just we know it's gonna be crazy. So help us in the worst of times to be the best of people. And we can't self-generate that. We rely on you to give us your instruction on what we need to be and how we need to act and how we need to live and even our own attitudes, our character, our influence, all of these things. So God, I pray your blessing on those who haven't picked up their Bible in a long time, that every time they, they crack that cover, it would be an admission that we need you. And when that be the heart of, of our worship this week as we step back into the world, we need you. I give this prayer, I offer this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. One more quick story. Um, back in the 50s, there was a gangster named Mickey Cohen. He was a big nationally recognized gangster. I don't know if there is such a thing, but that sounds about right. Everyone knew who Mickey Cohen was, and he was invited to an evangelistic meeting one night, and he was very intrigued by the thought of the gospel. And some Christian leaders got together and said, let's seize this opportunity. If Mickey Cohen, a gangster, can say yes to Christ, imagine the influence he'll have on all the other gangsters out there, right? How might this change the world? So they approached him. They met him with the claims of Christ. He prayed to receive Christ. But then they noticed no discernible difference in his life. He went right on back to being a gangster. And these same Christian leaders approached him again and said, you know, when you follow Christ, it means a change in, in what you do and who you associate with and how you live. And he goes, well, that makes no sense at all. Aren't there Christian athletes and Christian businessmen? Why can't I be a Christian gangster? <laughs> we know those two are incompatible. But do we not do the same thing just maybe in some smaller ways? Yeah, I want to be a Christian, but I want to do things my way. It may not be being a gangster, but when we read the teachings of Christ, we're saying, I need to put aside sin and self, and I need to follow Him. Would you stew on that? Let that work on you. And let's remember that we serve Jesus, who calls us to build our lives on Him and His words. Let's worship Him together right now. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.